This is Truth and Love Ministries, where we bring people home to God by learning His truth and experiencing His unending love. There are many who believe, but few who truly give their lives to Christ. For us to make any meaningful progress in this life, we must settle in our hearts and minds that Jesus is God and act on that belief. We pray this message refreshes you and speaks encouragement to whatever is going on in your life right now. Now, let's take a listen to the message, Settle the Matter. Good morning. We ought to all this morning say praise the Lord. No matter what we are going through, experiencing, dealing with, no matter how we feel, no matter what cards are in our hand that we are dealing with, we ought to say praise the Lord. If you look back over your life, you can really tell and know the truth that God has been awesome. No matter what it no matter what it it dealt to you this week, no matter what hand was dealt to you this week, God has been awesome. And we ought to praise him and thank him for being so. We need to continue to lift up our nation and pray for for the safety of our all of all of the people in this nation. There's still a lot of somewhat mass shootings, there are also still a lot of uh, police killings of people. So we need to pray for God to work in it. And we need to pray against a racial war. It seems like that's where we're headed. And it seems like some states, state legislators are trying to take us, take things back in time. And so we need to pray for God to work in the move and intervene in these situations. We know that God said in his word that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord and as the river water, he turn it whithersoever he wills. So we need to pray for God to turn their hearts to do his work and to do his will. The Bible also says in Psalm 75 that Promotion does not come from the east, nor does it come from the west, but it comes from God. He raises one up and he set another one down. And we need to pray for God to put the people in place that will do his bidding, that will bring forth what he desires into this nation and into our world. Let us continue again to pray for each other. Because there are some things that people are going through. Some of your brothers and sisters are dealing with that they may have not even spoken to anybody about. They're having issues. They're going through problems. They may be hurting. They may be sick. They may be dealing with something that, that's depressing them. So let us together, let us lift up each other. And again, I say... If the Spirit of God brings someone to your mind, always pray for them. Not just say, I thought about you today, but pray for them because God is putting them on your heart for a purpose and a reason. Last week we talked about your work matters, and it really matters more than what you think. And it's easy for us to 
judge and say what someone should do and what I won't do and what they ought to be doing. But the truth of the matter, God has people in all kind of places doing all kind of things. We can never rule out that somebody is being used by God, whether they are a Christian or not. Remember that God used in the Old Testament wicked kings to bring forth what he desired. So sometimes we can find ourselves fighting against the will of God, fighting against what God is doing because it's coming from somebody that may, may not even believe in God. That does not necessarily mean that it's not a work of God because the person that it comes from is not a man or woman of God. We need to not judge other people because we don't know where God has called them and what God has called them to do. And we can actually be distant from a brother or a sister and not even know it because of the position that they may hold, they hold and the job they may be required to do. So today we're gonna continue on and we're gonna continue talking about, it's still talking about the life of Elijah still talking a little about leadership and, and, and the influence that we have upon people. And today we want to, the title of our message is Settle the Matter. Settle the Matter. You know, there's a scripture, and it's not the first one that I'm going to go to, but it's the one I will get to. You know, it says, why I haunt you between two opinions. If the Lord be God, then serving so it's 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 a matter that we need to settle in our own lives and in our own hearts and i believe that as we do as the christian community settles the issue that the lord is god i believe that we will actually cause other people to make a firm and solid decision about Jesus and God himself. So let's get into this and start. We're going to start with 1 Kings 18 and verse 36. Isaiah is speaking. He said, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things according to your word. And what you have to understand is that the time had come for Elijah to confront the prophets of Baal. It had come time for him to confront these prophets. And notice it wasn't his own idea. God extended patience to his people when they turned to idols. But his patience didn't lead them to repentance. Think of that. He sent a drought and famine that lasted for three years. But his judgment didn't lead them to, to repentance either. And think of this, among God's people, the prophets who spoke the word of God were being hunted and killed while those that promoted Baalism were being sponsored by the king's family. So in 1 Kings 18 and 19, so one day God sent Elijah to Ahab and he, and he said, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 400 
and 50 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Now, what you have to do is you got to kind of picture this scene that nearly 1,000 prophets are dressed in bright colors, ready to perform their religious rites, and a large crowd of people who have gathered from the far ends of the country from the, for the big showdown. On the other side, imagine this, on the other side, about 1,000 people here, and then you got this other large group of people that have gathered to watch and see, but on the other side stands Elijah the lone prophet who speaks and acts under the direction of God. Now, you, that, that can help you to understand as well why Elijah said, I and I alone am left, because Baal, uh, uh, Jezebel had, and the prophets of Baal and Asherah numbered almost a thousand, and here he is standing by himself. So I can see why Elijah the more I read, the more I understand why he said what he said and sort of felt what he felt. So here's the challenge in 1 Kings 18 and 21. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long, this is a scripture that I mentioned previously, how long will you go limping between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Okay? So, there is a decision to make. There's a decision that has to be made by everybody. We can't continue to go on limping between two opinions. We can't continue to go on limping between two opinions. Because this, this uh, 1 Kings 18, 21, the, the part of it that says limping between two opinions, this speaks powerfully to our nation today. Because if you had taken a survey in the time of Elijah, the vast majority of people in Israel would have said that they believed in the Lord, the God of their fathers. Think about that. Most folks that you encounter on a day-to-day -day basis, if you ask them that question, what do they say? They don't have a problem telling you that they believe. They believe. But the problem was, that under the onslaught of Baalism, their walk with the Lord had become hopelessly compromised. And that's the significance of the word limped. How long will you go limping between two opinions? Any student of uh, American history knows that James Monroe was the fifth president of the United States and he is best remembered for what became known as the Monroe Doctrine. His firm conviction that America should not become involved in European wars. And in most somewhat recent times, we associate the name Monroe with Marilyn Monroe, the famous actress whose life and death were marked with great sadness. And on one occasion, Marilyn Monroe was asked if she believed in God. And this is what she had, this is this is how she answered. She said, I believe in a in in everything a little bit. And a man by the name of Philip Riken described this as the new Monroe Doctrine. 
believing everything, believing in everything a little bit. And so this new Monroe Doctrine has become the basic principle of American culture. People don't want to be intolerant, so they believe a little bit in everything. A majority of Americans believe in God, the Bible, Jesus, the power of positive thinking, the basic goodness of humanity. They believe in luck. They believe in alien life forms and checking horoscopes every day. The only way to believe all these things at the same time is to adhere to the Monroe Doctrine, believing everything, believing in everything a little, a little bit. And he then, he then adds, the whole thrust of Elijah's ministry was to refute the Monroe Doctrine. And Elijah was saying, you cannot worship God and at the same time craft your own truth, your own morality, or your own life purpose. As long as you try to do both, you will be limping along and this is a decision that we all have to make. We got to make a decision. We cannot, we cannot dabble in both camps. We cannot be a part of God and the world. We can't have it both ways. We can't do it how we choose and how we want to. And we have to make a decision. And here's a reason to grasp or to seize and hold firmly to. In 1 Kings 18, 21, it also says, if the Lord is God, follow him. There's something to grab onto. So Elijah doesn't say your parents followed the Lord and you should too. Not a reason to do it. That's a powerful argument, but it's manipulative. And nobody has the right to say that to you. Following Christ because your parents do so or because your friends do so will not stand the test of time. Elijah doesn't say follow the Lord because it's the right thing to do. The appeal is not to moral duty. Our business is not to try to impose some Christian morality on godless people. I've, I've, I've at some point heard people say, even if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, the, the Christian life would still be the way to live. But that's not what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, 15, 19. He said, if Christ is not raised, we are the most miserable people in the world. So if Christ is not raised, the church really doesn't have anything, anything to offer. So our message is simple. Christ is risen. Life, purpose, forgiveness, and joy ought, to, joy ought to be found in him. If the Lord is God, then what, we, what must we do? We must follow him. The challenge is not to choose the way of life that's right for you. The central question is, who is God? In New Testament terms, what do you think of Jesus Christ? 
What is your conclusion about him? Your response to him and therefore your position before him. There's also in 1 Kings 18.21 an urgency to consider. How long? How long will you halt or limp between two opinions? How long? Years had passed and these people who knew the knew about the Lord had come, had not come to a decision. So the question is, what about us? What about us? We've been in the church. How many years has that been? You've been taught about God. You have some kind of faith, but it's not clear cut. You are limping. In some measure, you're attempting to embrace Christ and the world at the same time. As long as you're limping, you're not going to make very much progress. Not going to make much pro progress. We've, we've graduated from high school. We've graduated from college. We're, we've retired, and we are what? We are still limping. What are we going to do? Are we going to throw ourselves into sin? Are we going to throw ourselves into being a servant of God? We haven't made up our mind. We have one foot in both camps. And we are limping. We are limping. We're still trying to love Christ and love the world at the same time. Still toying with the same sins. Never giving ourselves to them completely, but never giving ourselves to Christ completely either. How long are we going to limp between two opinions? And in 1 Kings 18 and 21, there's also an outcome to pursue. If the Lord is God, follow him. If the Lord is God, follow him. Christian faith can never remain a conviction in our mind only. Let me say that again. Christian faith can never remain, can never remain a conviction in our mind only. The gospel never allows you to limp along with Jesus as your Savior, but not as your Lord. That's impossible. If the Lord is God, follow him. See, most folks, most of us want him as Savior. Nobody wants to die and go to hell. We know the consequences of not accepting him as Savior. But most people do not want to accept him as Lord. The word Lord actually means boss or owner. In other words, giving myself wholly, totally over to him and allowing him to be the boss, the direction of my life, the owner, the one that possesses everything and every part of my life and has all and total and complete say-so in my life. We want to accept him as Savior but not as Lord, and it is impossible to have one 
without the other because he is both. He's both. Now, let's 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 kind of do a contrast and let's look at let's look at uh, the prophets of Baal. And they had they had the sounds of silence and they had early confidence. In 1 Kings 18:26, it says they took a bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. Now, the efforts of these prophets of Baal must have been impressive. They, tr they just try to picture 450 prophets calling out in prayer, drums beating. They're all in formation, circling the bull, dancing and singing. And you find all the trappings of their rituals. Man, I bet you the History Channel or the National Geographic magazine would have loved to run a photo feature on this, this parade of prophets dancing and praying and screaming and, and doing what they do. It had to be an impressive prayer meeting, hundreds of people actively participating for hours and hours. And it's very striking that when Elijah asked these prophets to call on Baal to send fire, they accepted the challenge. They actually must have felt that there was a chance of it happening. Maybe they knew of some of the the, 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 the times when Satan was able to, to do false signs and wonders and these prophets felt that their God would be able to deliver. They were very, very confident. Very confident. And with all these prophets and all this confidence, it's natural for the crowd to look at them and say, think, listen at this now, can all these people really be wrong. See, we have a tendency to look at the crowd. We have a tendency to look at the crowd. We have a tendency to look at uh, when there are a lot of people gathering in one place and what we call worshiping. When, when, when people build huge buildings and fill it, fill it with multitudes of people. We ask ourselves, and I'm not saying this because we are a small church, I'm just making a statement of fact. Because I'm stating the fact based on this particular scripture. Because there, there were 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah, and these 950 men gathered together and they were impressive in their prayers, in their worship, in their dancing, in their singing. But guess what? It produced no results. And it shows us also that people that are devoted can pray. People that are devoted can worship. People are, that are devoted can sing but to no avail, to no avail. It also shows that, they, that people that are devoted can be, actually have confidence. They can be confident people. 
They can be confident people and yet still be wrong. So now in 1 Kings 18 and 28, we see some growing distress, some distress coming upon them. It says they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until blood, until the blood gushed out of them. Imagine that. What started out optimistic, so bright and so colorful, now begins to turn dark. There's a more sinister element begin to show. They begin to cut themselves, and at this point, it becomes painful to watch. Think about it. These men are willing to go, to, go, through, willing to go through a lot of self-inflicted agony before they are, were ready to admit defeat. And Elijah does not shortcut the process. Before they can be convinced that the Lord is God, they must see that there is no other. And guess what? That's a place that we all have to come to. In order for us to see and believe that the Lord is God, we all have to come to a place that there is no other. And you know, a friend of mine told me about his daddy. His, daddy, um, his daddy's sister was actually uh, a Buddhist. She had, she had become a, Buddha, a Buddhist. And, and, and he was kind of flirting around with it. He was listening to what she was saying. But my friend told me, he said, when he, right before his daddy died, his daddy told him, he said, son, don't believe that Buddha stuff, that Buddhist stuff is not true. He said, the only thing that's real and true and it's Jesus. He said, I know that now. I've seen it. I've seen him. So somewhere in the time before he died, he had come to the realization. He had come to that place in that point that before he could believe in the Lord our God, he had to come to the place where he realized that there was no other. We should not have to come to the end of our lives to actually come to this point in our lives. We should actually, because of what we have experienced and what we've seen and what we've seen him do, we should actually be already there, realizing that there is no other. There is no other. No other way makes sense. No other way can be true. But before we can say that the Lord is God, we have to realize that there is no other. And not only do we have to realize that there is no other, we have to come to the realization that we ourselves cannot be God to ourselves. That we ourselves cannot be God to ourselves. Because remember in the garden, the greatest temptation that, the, that Satan laid out before Adam and Eve was what? You shall be as God's. Knowing good and evil. In other words, God is trying to keep you from being like him. And if you eat off of this tree, you can be like him. You can be a God to yourself is basically what his offer was. You can be a God to yourself. So what we have to realize is that all these other gods that we see around us forming themselves into being gods and some of them are men some of them are idols and things that we worship and things that we put our trust and rely and depend upon but the truth of the matter is that we have we got to come to the realization that none of these things 
is the Lord our God. When we come to that realization, and I'm telling you, that in, in most of these things, there's a fine line between trusting them and trusting God. And sometimes the more we have, the harder it is to trust God. The less we have, the easier it is because we, we don't have anything to lean on, to rely on, to depend on. There's a fine line in believing in the Lord our God and believing in our job. And the only time we know when we would do one or the other is when one or the other is gone. And then we know where we truly stand. So here's the tragedy. When they called on Baal, there was no one there. There was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. That's in 1 Kings 18, 29. That is the problem with every spirituality that replaces God at the center of your universe with something else. It leaves you with a black hole. So here's the question for every person who is not yet a Christian today. Maybe you live for sports, for family, or for your career. Or maybe you live for the good you can do in the world. Can what you live for answer your prayers? Can what you live for answer your prayers? Can what you love, who you love, answer your prayers? Riken says, Philip Riken says, some people worship success, selling their souls to climb the corporate ladder, but there's one thing a career cannot do. It cannot answer your prayers. Some people worship pleasure, pampering themselves with rich foods, exciting sporting events, and the latest music. They live with as much luxury as they can afford and as much sensuality as they can get away with. But there's one thing that food and concerts and travel and pornography cannot do. They cannot answer your prayers. Some people worship personal beauty, giving priority to their outward appearance. As churches empty, Health clubs flourish, but there's one thing that cosmetics and fitness cannot accomplish. They cannot answer your prayers. And as you think about what's at the center of your world, can what you live for answer your prayers? You don't want to find yourself crying out to a black hole of nothingness. And then we look at 1 Kings 18 and 40, and we see ultimate disaster. It says, Elijah brought them down to the brook. Elijah brought them down to the brook, cursing and slaughtered them there. And Elijah was in a very different position from our days. He was a prophet. That meant... He acted under direct revelation from God. The special role given to the prophets explained why the fate of the false prophet is so severe. A prophet speaks the word of God. And Deuteronomy 13 makes it clear that if any Israel, Israelite presumed to speak in the name of God falsely, they would do so on the penalty of death. It was very serious. It was very serious. And so Elijah is often a, in, in, in this story, Elijah is often a Christ figure. 
He brings the promise of God to a widow and calls her to great sacrifice. He raises her son, pointing to the day of our resurrection. And here Elijah points us to the great day of God's judgment. The awful end of the prophets who led the people of God astray reminds me of the words of Jesus. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. That's in Mark 9 and 42. And see, what's going on here, this is pointing us to the day of judgment. What a warning to the person who teaches falsely to the people of God. There is the broad road that leads to destruction and it is marked by early confidence, growing disaster, growing distress, and early and ultimate disaster. So now let's look at these two in contrast, a study in contrast. It says now the power of God in place of the force of numbers. In 1 Kings 18 and 30, speaking of Elijah, it says, he, he, he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. Now, I want, you to, I want you to just imagine this. Try picturing this one man stepping forward, opposed by so many. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been broken down. And in this story, we're not told that anyone else helped him. Everybody just watched. And in, in 1 Kings 18 and 31, it, it, it specifically, we're told he took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob. Now, you have to note that 10 tribes of the northern kingdom had separated from the line of, of King David to whom God's promise of a redeemer was given. So it's significant that Elijah makes, takes 12 stones, not 10. And then, note that he pours all, his, all this water all over the altar and over the sacrifice. Hmm. You have to ask the question, where did the water come from? Hadn't rained in three years. So it had to come from the sea since Carmel was near to the coast. And then you note that Elijah seems alone. And perhaps that's how he felt. Remember what he said, I, even I, only am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophet are over are 450 men. That's in 1 Kings 18 and 22. This is, you note, note Elijah, every, every, time he's, every time he's mentioned in this story, Elijah's by himself. So I can understand why he kept saying, I, even I, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. There were 450. <coughs> excuse me. There were 450 prophets of Baal. But guess what? Baal himself is a zero. And so 450 times zero is still what? Zero. You can add whatever number you want to zero and you still come up with zero. But Elijah was one man with God. And one man with God is more than all who stand against him. As the word says in Romans 8, 
if God is for us, who can successfully compete against us as our enemy? And this, now we want to look at Elijah's confident faith in place of relentless activity. In 1 Kings 18 and, and 36 and 37, it says, it's here, here, I, here, here, here's Elijah praying. He said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and, and, and Israel, or Jacob, answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Now, just imagine after all that activity of the prophets of Baal, here comes Elijah. He repairs the altar that had been torn down, repairs the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. And Elijah's prayer is short and very, very simple. They had prayed for hours. Elijah's prayer took less than a minute. Elijah knows very clearly who he is praying to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Old Testament scriptures and the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, not the small g, as I would like him to be, but the God of scriptures. And so what he asked for is plain and straightforward. He says in verse 37, Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. I wonder how many Christians are hooked on the idea that more activity is the path to more blessing. How many Christians look at, I mean, I, I know some people that have basically said that because certain things were not taking place in certain places, they were going to other places. More activity. More activity. More activity is the path to more blessing. Have you ever felt that felt that treadmill running in your life, trying to have more faith, more feelings, more intensity. <laughs> Note what Jesus said. Pagans think that they will be heard because of their many words in Matthew 6 and 7. And then he said, when you pray, pray like this, 6, 9. Was there ever a more simple prayer than this? He said, now pagans, he, now this is, a perfect, this is a perfect example of what Jesus was referencing in Matthew chapter 6. He said, they, they, they think they're going to they're be heard for their many words. And you know, a lot of times I think we feel that we have to pray long prayers. I think sometimes we confuse the, the, the scripture that when Jesus came and found his disciples sleep and said, could you, could you not pray one hour? Could you not watch and pray for one hour? And people have a tendency to believe that they have to at least pray an hour. They have to at least pray long prayers. And they find themselves praying 
in, 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 in repeating the same words over and over and over and over again, not making any significant difference. And we have to understand as well, we have to look at the simple prayer that Elijah prayed. It took less than a minute. When you know God and you're in fellowship with God, you don't have to pray long prayers. And, not, and I'm, not, I'm not excluding or, de, or, or, or speaking lightly of long prayers. Be led of the Holy Spirit to pray however you pray. And I believe that's what Elijah was. He was led by the Spirit of God. And I feel like that we have to be the same. We have to do the same. Remember, Jesus went off and he prayed all night. I'm not telling you that you can pray a three-word prayer or a five-word prayer or a two-sentence prayer or less than a minute prayer and be effective, but I'm not telling you that you, you can't or you can. I'm not, I'm, telling, I'm, not, I'm not persuading you one way or the other. I'm persuading you, hopefully, that you will be led by the Spirit of God. That you'll be sensitive to the voice of God in these situations. I believe Elijah prayed what God wanted him to pray. Note that those people, note that long prayers didn't move them, the, 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 their God. And truthfully, if we're praying to the wrong God, it's not going to move him anyway. And understand this, that God is only moved by faith. The Bible says in James that, Whosoever come to him must believe that he is and that he is rewarded them that diligently seek him. In other words, in Hebrews 11, 6 said, without faith it's impossible to please him. So you can pray a, a long prayer without faith and still obtain no results. You can pray a short prayer with faith and obtain great results. So don't get caught up in the fact of, of, of thinking that you have to pray a certain amount of time. We need to be sensitive to the voice of God and be led by his spirit. And if you think about after all that beating and cutting and dancing of the prophets of Baal, what a relief to see a man who knows God and trusts him. And the question is, would your Christian life be marked by an evangelical Baalism or a confident trust in, in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now we see answered prayer in, the, in, the, in, 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 in place of silence. 1 Kings 18, 38. It said, Now the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offerings and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Now that is amazing and it's awesome. Now just imagine the, the, the intensity of the fire that not only burned up the wood and the sacrifice, but it even burns the stones and the dust. Now think about this, 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 this truth. The fire fell on, think about this wonderful truth. This is awesome now, think about this. The fire fell on the sacrifice, not on the people. Think about, think about in the New Testament, it, 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 one, of the, one of the disciples prayed, you know, said, said, shall we call fire down on them as Elijah did? Now, somebody was wrong there because it said Elijah didn't call the fire down on the people. He called the fire down on the sacrifice. 
And, and think about this wonderful truth. The fire fell on the sacrifice, not on the people. And in all ways, this makes me think of Calvary, where the judgment of God was poured out on another hill. The judgment of God does not fall on the soldiers who crucified Jesus or on the crowds who mocked him, but on Jesus himself who became the sacrifice for us so that the people could be saved. Now, let's look at the response of the people. Let's look at the response of the people. Now, in 1 Kings 18 and 39, it says, now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Now, most of us would look at that and think that is awesome that they saw that and they, they declared what Elijah said, the Lord, he is God. They declared the same word that Elijah said. Now think about an unbelieving person you may know, someone you would like to see come to Christ. If you could either call down fire from heaven or share the gospel with them, which would you choose? Which do you think has the greater power? And then the natural response is to say, if I could call down fire from heaven, it would prove beyond all shadow of a doubt that the Lord is God. And most folks say, isn't that what we need today? Nothing is more powerful than a miraculous answer to prayer, right? Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Not so fast. Because the people fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. But in the very next chapter, what we're going to find Elijah saying is, I, even I, only am left. Now, if those people had a change of heart, why would Elijah still be saying in the next chapter that he was the only one left alone? He's indicating that the fire at Mount Carmel did not lead to any lasting change in the lives of the people. Matthew Henry makes this comment. Some, we hope, had their hearts turned back. But the generality of them were convinced only, not converted. They were convinced only, not converted. Now understand that, because most folks are convinced, but very few are converted. Convinced and not converted. Nobody is saved by a miraculous sign. And, a, and an amazing answer to prayer may convince a person that God exists, but it will not incline their hearts to come to him. A miraculous answer to prayer may convince them it may convince them but it won't incline their hearts to come to him. In 1 Corinthians 1.23, that's why Paul said some people are looking for miraculous signs, but we preach Christ crucified. Why? Only the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified can change the human heart. 
Only the gospel. Only the gospel can change the human heart. You know, we, we constantly underestimate the power of the gospel to change human hearts. Think about this. Three years of judgment on the entire nation did not change the hearts of the people. The miraculous demonstration of God's almighty power in the fire from heaven didn't change their hearts. Which tells us what? The human heart is not changed by fearful judgment or by miraculous displays of power, but only by the redeeming love of God poured out for us through the dying and raising of Jesus Christ applied into our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. Miracles, answered prayers. I mean, let me, let, me, let me ask this question. All of us can testify to it. How many people have we prayed for seeing God answer the prayer? The folks that we were praying for seeing God answer, prayer, answer the prayer, and yet they go along on their way doing what they were always doing. Answered prayer never changed their lives. How many folks have we seen God work a miracle in their lives and their lives did not change? They didn't change. Very few people do change when they, when they, see, when they see God work and move. Very few people change. I mean, doing good deeds and good works in the lives of people. Doing good things for them in, in, their, in their lives. And they see the hand of God, and yet they do not change. So the question is, what brings people back to God? The passage of time won't do it. Judgment poured out on the nation won't do it. Miraculous signs and wonders won't do it. Paul tells us in Romans 1.16, he tells us what do it, what does it. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes. For everyone who believes. So, let's sort of end this today with the gospel. Jesus Christ gave his life for you. And on the third day, he rose in triumphant power. He gave his life for sinners, and he reaches out to you today, ready to forgive. His Holy Spirit is able to give you a new mind, implant new desires in your heart, and give you a new life. You can be more than a person who believes in God. You can have the life of God in you. And that life is offered to you by Jesus Christ today. Until that day when you will be with him in heaven forever. The gospel brings you to the point of decision. Jesus Christ is Lord and he bids you come and follow him. Yield your life to him as Lord and master. Receive life from him as your savior and friend. Don't walk away from him today limping between two opinions. You may ask, what will that mean for me? What's that going to cost? I don't know. 
a man by the name of C.T. Studd says, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. So what will that cost? What is your, what is your life worth? You know, Jesus actually said, what if a man gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will he give in exchange for his soul? It's time for, it's really time for us to draw a line in the sand. It's really, really, it's really time for us to settle this. If the Lord be God, then why won't we truly serve him? Or are we just of those who say we believe? And nothing really matters to us. Time is not changing our hearts. Miracles, we have not changed it. Good deeds that have been done to us, toward us, for us. Prayers answered, haven't done it. The only thing that'll do it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. As Paul said in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who will believe it. God is looking for somebody to show himself strong in, to show himself, himself mighty in. He's looking for somebody that he can do that in and through. Will that person be you? Will you settle this today? Will you settle it today? And let me say this. God is looking for a personal relationship with you. He knows you personally. He calls you individually. And he wants to walk with you individually as well. Let us pray. Lord, I just pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus, sir, that you would grace us, help us to come to the place and the conclusion in our lives that you are Lord, that you are God, and that there is no other, that we will commit to you and follow you wholeheartedly, and that we will do what you have called and sent us to do, that there's no sacrifice too great to make for one who made such a great sacrifice for us, who was willing, willing to leave heaven and come to earth and subject himself to the ones that he created, allow those that created him to actually kill him. Why? So that he could draw those that killed him to him. So that he could bear the punishment and the judgment of the almighty God for the sins of the world, so that the world itself could be saved. So that the access to heaven that had been closed off because of our sin would once again be open because of his sacrifice. Lord, help us to realize, not at the end of our lives, but in our lives now, that the Lord is God and there is no other. We bless you for it. We praise you for it. And Lord, speak to the hearts of your people today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.
every voice, let's raise this real big say, Oh, how you want with me, and oh, how you want with me, oh, how you talk with me, and oh, how you talk with me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy what you heard, make sure to subscribe and share with somebody you know. And tune in next week for more sermons from Truth and Love Ministries Church.